Hello and welcome to Research Roundup brought to you by the Primary Care Collaborative Cancer Clinical Trials Group, PC4. I'm Christy Milley and each month we'll be looking at what's new in cancer in primary care research and I'll be talking to authors of recent publications and presentations. This episode is part of a special series that was recorded at the Capri Conference in Toronto in 2019. Capri is an international network of academic GPs, and their goal is to promote more international collaboration in cancer and primary care research. And they do this by supporting networking and arranging an annual conference. I had the opportunity to talk to Saskia, who is the Program Leader of Oncology in Primary Care at the University Medical Centre in Groningen. Saskia presented her work on survivorship concerns around the relationship between employment and financial toxicity in long-term cancer survivors. Given the interview was held at Capri, there's some noise interference, and I started off by asking Saskia about her background as the head of the Primary Care Oncology Program and what her research has focused on up until now. My name is Saskia Duits. I'm from the Netherlands. I'm working in Amsterdam and in Groningen. In Groningen, I'm working at the University Medical Center and I'm the head of the Oncology and Primary Care Program. In Amsterdam, I'm working as a senior researcher in psycho-oncology. So that's quite a good combination, I think. So with regard to the topic of this conference, cancer inequities, I think it's a really interesting topic. It's also a topic that might be difficult for some people or researchers to even talk about. I think that everyone is aware that we have a problem in this area, but it's always difficult to really focus on it. So what we see in the Netherlands, for example, we organized a meeting of the Dutch Kent Society. I'm the chair of the psycho-oncology group of the Dutch Kent Society. And it was all about cancer inequities, because we always noticed that no matter what we do in research, also in my own research on cancer and work, we always miss the people who need the intervention most. And we are just wondering, how is that still the case? Not only the last few years, but that's going on for decades already. And specifically in the cancer and work area, we, and that's quite astonishing, I think, that the people who have a lower education, who have a lower socioeconomic status, who have precarious employment or are unemployed, they also experience the most problems in this area and they have the the most financial problems. They are always uh, worse off compared to the patients who are a bit more uh, affluent. Uh, I think it's really important that we focus on this topic in this conference and also not only talk about it, but also hopefully come to the next steps and uh, think about solutions and how to proceed. So discussion is great, but taking action is even better. And your presentation is around financial toxicity. Exactly. So this is a really new area of research, I suppose, mm. that's emerging and you know looking at cancer treatment and survivorship. So could you just give us a little bit of background about you know how it emerged and what is financial toxicity really all about? So I started about maybe seven or eight years ago with doing research into cancer and work. And then you can imagine it's quite a small step towards yeah. financial toxicity. Yeah, I supervise a lot of PhD students in this, uh, this area. And if we look at the topic, cancer and work, and not a lot of people realize this, is that uh, almost one in every two patients is diagnosed when of working age. So it's about 50%. So in the Netherlands, it's now about 40, 45%. But this percentage is 
uh, increasing because the retirement age is increasing up to 66, 67, and probably we have to work until we are 70. So a lot of people are diagnosed when they are of working age, and at that moment you have to do something with your work, even if it's just making a phone call to your supervisor or your employer, telling them about the diagnosis and uh, arrange things for the upcoming weeks or months or even years maybe. And for example, in the Netherlands, uh, even if you are unemployed, then you have an obligation towards the social security agency if you get, for example, an unemployment benefit. So for all these people, so 50% of all patients, they have to do something with work when they are diagnosed of working age. We know uh, of these patients that about two-thirds of them are able to return to work one way or another. So we did a lot of research in this area and returning to work was measured sometimes quite broadly, just are you able to return to work, yes or no? And more specifically, it's, it's better, I think, to look at if people were able to return to work in the same position, with the same uh, amount of hours, working hours, with the same tasks that they are doing. But if you look at it just returning to work, yes or no, it's about two-thirds of the patients being able to work. And we also know that even within the group of patients that's returning to work, they experience a lot of problems during the whole process not only returning to work, but also staying at work. And then we are not talking even about the one-third of the patients uh, not being able to work. So there were a lot of problems, adverse work outcomes, and then you can think about uh, losing your job because of the diagnosis and treatment. That must be um, really scary. It's really scary, and we have talked about this to a lot of patients and they even say something like it's a double loss for me. I lost my health, I have lost my trust in my own body, and I've lost my job on top of that. And actually I've talked to quite some patients who mentioned, for example, okay, I've been diagnosed with breast cancer, I've had my treatment for about a year, I've left that behind me, I'm well, I'm doing fine again, but I've lost my job, I have financial problems, I'm depressed about it, and that's already five years ago, for example, and that's still ongoing. So these are long-term problems that a lot of people don't even realize. There's quite some job loss, there's quite some, the level of, of receiving unemployment benefits or disability benefits is rather high. And as mentioned in the beginning, when you are asking this question, then it's a small step towards financial toxicity. I think that everyone has a bit of an idea what financial toxicity is. So it relates to all the problems and the consequences people can have because of cancer diagnosis and treatment. And not only the financial problems, but also the problems related to experiencing financial problems. So for example, if patients are experiencing a lot of distress or anxiety or depression because of these financial problems, I think that this topic emerged because in the last 10, 15 years, we definitely have seen a shift in the whole research area in cancer work because I think that maybe 10, 15 years ago, it wasn't that obvious that you were able to return to work. It was, okay, you have your diagnosis, you have treatment, and work wasn't a topic that a lot of people talked about. But now, a lot of people are able to return to work. And then within this research topic, we also investigate related subjects, such as financial toxicity. So I think that, yes, the attention for the topic increased, but also because of it, we found out that financial toxicity is a really big problem. That's a great background. <laughs> that's, that's great. And so in the study that you're presenting at the Capri conference, You've highlighted that many participants were, you know, a few years past their diagnosis. So is it likely that they will have moved back to primary care as their main, mm. you know, carers? And what role do you think 
if any, that primary care or the general practitioner may have in reducing financial toxicity? Yeah, uh, the study that we are presenting at Capri, in that study, the patients are about four years after diagnosis. And what we see in the Netherlands and also in other many, many other countries is that exactly what you are mentioning already, that people are moving from hospital care to primary care around that time. It can be yeah. a bit earlier as well. I think in primary care, and especially with the GPs, it all begins with awareness about this, uh, this problem. It's almost one in every four patients experiencing financial toxicity because of diagnosis and, and treatment. So I think that for GPs, it's really important to recognize in the first place if there are any problems. I also think that it might be a bit difficult to start talking about financial things, but I don't think that it's really difficult to ask someone, how is everything at work? And that uh, starts the conversation about work, and then it's, as I mentioned again, a small step towards are there any financial problems. Um, so it starts with awareness, and then just asking a question about work can lead to other questions. And if it is a big problem, patients, they're going to start talking about it, because probably they also want help for this problem. I think the next thing is that referral is really important, because I can imagine that the GP maybe is unable to, to give a lot of information about work-related problems, but if he or she knows where to refer the person to, a social worker, a psychologist, an occupational physician, and those kind of things. For example, in the Netherlands, we have quite some uh, reintegration agencies and they are specialized in cancer and work and they support patients and survivors and even their families with these kind of things. After the first thing, awareness, the second thing, if GPs know about these agencies and they can refer them, the patients, to these agencies, that would be a big step. Do you think that interventions targeted at financial toxicity are likely to be stratified by cancer type? given that your study showed that patients with blood or bowel cancers had a higher risk of financial toxicity. Mm. Even if to say that I'm not really sure about this, because when I'm looking at the whole cancer and work research area, we know that specific of patients with specific tumor types show more problems than other patient groups. We know that patients who have been treated for head and neck cancer, that they have more problems returning to work than, for example, patients who have been treated for breast cancer. And maybe you can imagine that if you have been treated in the facial area, that might cause problems with swallowing, uh, speaking, uh, eating and those kind of things, which might be a problem in your working place, your work area. It's really important, but looking at financial toxicity, correspondingly, we found that colorectal cancer patients report this quite a lot. I think it might be related to specific physical or psychosocial problems that they have, constipation, diarrhea, because of treatment, which make it more difficult for them to return to work and consequently also might lead to a higher risk of uh, financial toxicity. But at the same time, I think with regard to all the interventions, I would advise to offer them to all patients and survivors and tailor them to the specific problems a specific group of patients have. So not only offer them to a specific group because we know that financial toxicity is a bit higher over there. Because I also think that we need more research in this area, because it is a really new topic, to make sure that it's really different between the different tumor, tumor yeah. types. If you wanted our listeners to take away one key message from your study, what would it be? I think it definitely is awareness. Be aware that financial toxicity is a problem in a lot of cancer patients and survivors and that it can still be a problem long term after treatment has been completed when a lot of people think that this person is doing fine again. 
I also think that financial toxicity is more than the actual financial problem. So also the related consequences such as distress and anxiety or depression, that should be an eye-opener for all the people around and to keep that in mind. Because I think that all these problems can uh, limit patients enormously in their day-to-day functioning, not only at work, but in daily life. And then just a last question. I noticed that your study has Bogda Koswara on it, who is Mm -hmm. a wonderful medical oncologist in Australia and a PC4 member, and I think she's fabulous. Um, (laughs) How do you develop international collaborations in this kind of area Mm. from your experience? Mm -hmm. Well, if I talk about the cancer and work area, I think I almost know everyone who's working in this field, especially in the Netherlands, but also (laughs) in Europe and I think even worldwide, because it isn't that big, this area. And I already knew that Bogda was doing some kind of work also in this cancer and work area. And it was quite funny, actually, because another member of this project team, Lonneke van der Poel, from the Netherlands Cancer Institute, Uh she's a professor over there. She was in Australia a few years ago, but they decided to meet and Lonneke rented a bicycle to cycle to that meeting, which is typically Dutch, of course. (laughs) And she cycled over there and she met Bogda and they started talking about all kind of typical Australian and Dutch things. And of course, they started to talk about uh, mutual interest and collaboration options. And Bogda started talking about cancer and work and financial toxicity. And she's really interested in this topic. And Lonneke mentioned that in a big registry that we have in the Netherlands called the Profiles Registry, that they measure financial toxicity. So they thought, oh my God, this is a really interesting thing and maybe we can do a cross-cultural kind of thing together, but we need a pair of extra hands. Who is going to do this? And then quite suddenly a student of Bogda walked in. Her name is Bianca. She's also a member of this project team. And she was completely interested in this specific topic. So that's how it all started. So she picked it up and she wrote her thesis, her master thesis about this topic. And later on, we decided to write an article about it. So I think that that's how it all started. I'm still in touch with Bogda because we are making plans for new collaboration as we speak. It's a great collaboration. I hope that we can uh, can proceed this, uh, yeah. this collaboration. I love that serendipity in a bicycle. Yeah, that's yeah, all yeah. you need. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time today, Saskia, and I hope you enjoy the Capri Conference. You as well. Thanks for downloading Research Roundup, produced by PC4. You can access the articles and other information in our show notes. Do let us know what you think about this episode by emailing info at pc4tg.com.au or keep in touch via Twitter, where you'll find us at PC4TG. Don't forget to visit PC4's website, pc4tg.com.au.